Have you ever heard the little phrase, big gates swing on little hinges? That's kind of a common phrase, and if you stop and think about it, it's true. Think of the doors in your apartment. They're big doors, little hinges, not very big, maybe only two of them. And those two little hinges hold and support the door while it swings and hold it in place. What that phrase really means is it makes reference to how oftentimes little things in life have significant impact upon our lives. Think for a moment of some of the seeming small decisions that occurred in your life that led to you marrying the person you married. Small decisions, perhaps a sequence of them, until finally you decided to marry the one whom you married. Perhaps there are also small decisions involved in the work or the career that you had. If you had a work career, sometimes that occurred because of a sequence of small decisions. And the big gate of your career or your work swung on little decisions. A very seemingly small decision faced Adam and Eve in the garden. The serpent came and tempted them to eat of the fruit, food of the tree that God said, don't eat of it. Refrain from that fruit. Do not eat it. And the serpent came and tempted them with what seemed like a very small decision. To eat of the fruit or not to eat of the fruit? They ate of the fruit. And when they ate of that fruit, they rejected the authority of God in their lives. They rendered themselves obedient and subservient to a creature, the serpent, rather than the creator, God. And in that process, they renounced their fellowship with God that they had face to face without fear. It placed a rupture in God's plan and purpose for them in the Garden of Eden. A seemingly small decision that brought about disastrous consequences. Not only in their lives, but in our lives thousands of years later. God had a plan and a purpose. When he created the worlds in the first place, he had a plan and a purpose for man. He designed Adam and Eve for a purpose. He explained to them his purpose and his design and plan for them. He expected them to fulfill it. He called upon them to fulfill his plan and purpose for them. They rejected it. They turned it aside. But God didn't change his plan and purpose. Just because Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed. God still had his plan and purpose that he wanted to institute and to have in place with his creation. God began his plan of restoration of his plan and purpose for mankind with a man called Abram. We find that recorded for us in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. 
We find it there in chapter 12 of Genesis. I'll take just a moment and read the couple of verses that describe for us when God called Abram. It's found in Genesis chapter 12. And I'll just read the first few verses because it introduces to us this man Abram and God's call upon his life and his plan and purpose for him. Here's what we read. Now Jehovah said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and him that curseth you I will curse. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram went, as Jehovah had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son. And all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. God called Abram as the beginning and the restart of his plan and purpose for mankind. What does this show us about God? It shows us his faithfulness. God never forgets his promise. He never changes his plan and purpose. He keeps it. And he moves upon the lives of men and women and circumstances and the affairs of life to bring about his plan and purpose. It displays for us the sovereignty of God. God rules over all things. He spoke creation into existence. He rules and governs man, whom he placed in his creation. He governs and rules the affairs of men. Sometimes we get kind of concerned about our circumstances, don't we? Not only our own personal circumstances, but we look about our nation, and we look about the world, and we see catastrophe all over the world, and we see disaster, and we see wars and conflicts, and we, it gives us the feeling that the world is out of control. I would remind you, God has a plan and a purpose. He will accomplish His plan and purpose, because He rules and reigns in sovereignty. And in sovereignty, in order to fulfill his plan and purpose for man upon the earth, he called Abram. He chose him. He selected him as the vehicle through whom he would fulfill his plan and purpose. We see the grace of God. God didn't have to fulfill. He could have let man wither and die But God's gracious. And in His grace, He wanted to fulfill His plan and purpose. And so in grace, He chose Abram. 
grace reveals to us an aspect of God whereby he provides good, unmerited favor to those who don't deserve it. Unmerited favor. Without regard to anything within the person to whom he shows his favor. You can't earn it. You can't earn grace. Grace is a gift of God that he gives by his own choice. Without any way for us to repay. Grace. God's unmerited favor. That also reveals to us that God designed to fulfill his plan and purpose in his own way and in his own time. It revealed to us God's faithfulness. It reveals his sovereignty. It reveals to us his grace. Then we read that Abraham obeyed. He believed. When God called to him, he followed. Now just a little bit of background about Abram. We studied a while back about the Tower of Babel. And how the people at that time decided to congregate in one location, build a mighty tower to God and make a great name for themselves. They settled in the land now called Iraq. Babylon in that day. That's where Abram lived. Abram was an idol worshiper. He didn't know God. He didn't believe and trust God. But God called him and spoke to him and said, Abram, I want you to follow me and I will make of you a great nation and I will give to you a land in which you and your multitudes of people will live. And not only will I make you a great nation and great peoples, but all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Do any of those comments ring a bell to you? In things that we have studied over the past several weeks and months? When God created the earth and he spoke and gave responsibilities to Adam and Eve, what did he tell them to do? He told them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They refused to do that. They rejected God's command, and they yielded to the temptation of the serpent. God still wanted to have a people throughout all the earth that would reveal his glory and his presence. A people who would again, in whom God would recreate his image for he created Adam and Eve initially in his image that image became marred when they sinned against God God designed to recreate that image back into man once again in order to do that he called Abram an idol worshiper by grace by his sovereign choice he picked out Abram And he told Abram, if you will trust me and follow me, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a kingdom. And all of the earth will be blessed through you. Do you see the picture? 
Do you see how God is beginning through Abram to recreate and restore what he had initially designed and created in the Garden of Eden? God's plan to restore the Garden of Eden upon the earth begins with Abram. This account in Genesis chapter 12 actually forms the fulcrum, the foundation for the rest of Scripture. The balance of Scripture all hinges upon Genesis chapter 12. It is the turning point in history when God begins to reveal His plan and His purpose for mankind and is designed to recreate in man the image of God, his plan to restore his manifest presence upon the earth with man and in man, and that it would spread throughout all of the earth. God didn't change his mind. He chose Abram as the vehicle, as the foundation, and his offspring through whom he would fulfill his plan and purpose for man. As we look at this promise, just very briefly, we see that God promised a people, multitudes, as the stars of the heavens, as the sand by the seashore. Can't count them all. You will have that number of offspring, he told Abram. Not only will you have a multitude of people, but you will have a land. A kingdom has to have a land, doesn't it? To have a land. Scripture called the promised land. So God made promises to Abram, all of which are designed to be the foundation and to form the foundation of God's plan of restoration and recreation to bring about His plan and purpose for mankind upon the earth. We find that God did that. As we trace through scripture the progress of this plan, we can see various stages along the way as God made additional revelations of his plan and purpose in scripture. We find, for example, that Abram had his name changed to Abraham. And we'll view that in a later study. That he and his wife had one child, Isaac. Isaac had children through his wife. And as early as the trip down into Egypt to gather food in the face of famine, there was a multitude of people already. Just a few short generations after Abram's call from Babylon. While in Egypt, the Israelites, the children of Abram multiplied and flourished into thousands. Some estimate over a million were involved in the exodus out of Egypt towards the promised land. Multitudes of people in Egypt. God called them out of Egypt, brought them through the promised land to Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, he revealed himself to them in great thunders and lightnings and and flashes of light. And the earth shook. Great manifest display of himself and of his presence to them. And while on the mountain, he gave to Moses the law. 
And as part of the law that he gave them for his people, the children of Abram, it included the design and plan for a tabernacle. And he told Moses, I want you to build the tabernacle according to this plan and this purpose because when you build it, I will come down. And I will reside in that tabernacle. Do you see God at work? God coming down to reside with man again? To make his presence known to them? To make it manifest and real? Moses and the people built a tabernacle. And God came down and resided there. And as they traveled then into the promised land, they they took the tabernacle with them. When they got into the promised land, they erected the tabernacle once again. God's presence resided there. In time, David realized that the temple, the tabernacle, should be in Jerusalem, the main headquarters for the city, for the nation. He moved the tabernacle to Jerusalem, and ultimately his son Solomon built a temple, a a, a lasting building to house God's presence and to be the center of worship for these people. And God came with his presence again and filled the temple. And the city of Jerusalem became known as the city of God, the place where God resides. His presence lives and resides there. For many years, God's presence resided in the temple in Jerusalem. But a time came during the time of Ezekiel the prophet when the sin of Abram's offspring, his children, the children of Israel, it became so grievous to God that God removed his presence. He departed. And we read about that in Ezekiel chapter 9 and following. And Ezekiel describes for us the record of God's presence departing and leaving the temple. 400 years passed without the presence of God. Many in Israel began to wonder, has God forgotten us? What about this plan that he said to Adam and Eve and and to Abram, our father, and told about our seed and how we would be a blessing to all of the world? And and as God revealed himself progressively through the prophets, he foretold about a king who would come, who would reign and be the king forever. And the people began to doubt and wonder and to question God. Oh, once God begins to work his plan, he brings it to fruition. God never changes his plan. 400 years after the presence of God departed from the temple out of Jerusalem, Jesus came, born of a virgin. The scriptures tell us that at the appropriate time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might be the redeemer of sinners like you and like me. You see, God still had a plan, and he had a purpose, 
He intended to restore his presence among men. And he planned to recreate his image within man. He gave some hints throughout all of the Old Testament scriptures and we can read about them. Jesus came to fulfill those promises. For we read of Jesus in John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That little phrase, that designation, that title, the Word, describes God's communication, God's revelation of Himself to mankind. The Word, His revelation of Himself to mankind was Jesus. For we read later in that same chapter down in verse number 14 it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten son of God. God has restored again in man on the earth his glorious manifest presence. Recreating in man his presence. And through the Lord Jesus, he would again restore his presence to all the earth. The Lord Jesus came as the Redeemer. He came as the Reconciler. The one who would reconcile sinners like you and like me back to God. On the cross, he would pay the penalty that people like you and I deserve to pay. That's grace. Remember a few moments ago I mentioned about grace, His gift to people who don't deserve it, who can't repay? God's gift of grace was the Lord Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. On the cross... He effected reconciliation back to God for people like you and me. So that we might experience a new creation. That we might become new creatures. Not like the sinful creatures that we were when we were born. But new creatures. New creations. In Christ. After his resurrection. He told his. Disciples to go into Jerusalem. And to wait for the promise of the spirit. One of the prophecies. In Old Testament times. Repeated frequently. Was the coming of the spirit of God. And Jesus himself had even promised his followers before his crucifixion, I'm going to depart back to the Father. But when I do, I will send to you the Holy Spirit who will come and live within you and will abide with you forever. And after his resurrection, he told his disciples to go back to Jerusalem, wait for the coming of the Spirit of God. They went back in faith, believing, trusting In the promise of the Lord Jesus. And in the promises that they had read through the Old Testament scriptures. 
on the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfilled his promise. He sent the Spirit of God upon those believers as they had gathered together to pray. And the Spirit of God came down upon them and filled them. And I find it interesting that the display at that time of the Spirit of God coming down at the day of Pentecost had some resemblances to the time when God came down upon the mountain in Mount Sinai. There was fire. There was great disruption of sound. There was a shaking of the building in which the meeting, where the people held their prayer meeting at the time when the Spirit of God came down upon them. Many similarities to what occurred when God's presence came down upon Mount Sinai. Only this time it came in the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God came to every individual in the meeting. And His presence rested upon them and filled them. Do you see God at work in fulfilling His plan and purpose? To restore His presence among men? To create, to recreate new creatures back into the image of God? We now have and can have residing within us the Spirit of God. And the purpose of the Spirit of God is to bring into our lives the very presence of God Himself. We can experience the manifest presence of God and His glory in our own individual personal lives. And we can also experience it collectively as we gather together as children of God. At the consummation, which yet awaits us into the future. At the consummation, God will finalize everything that he began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve which he began to restore when he called Abram and his family out of Ur of the Chaldees, which he began to reveal to the offspring of, of Abram, the children of Israel in Egypt and in the wilderness and in the promised land, which he revealed through prophets that we have recorded in Old Testament scripture, which he brought to fruition in Jesus his son, he will bring it all together at the consummation. For we read in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, that John, the apostle, who wrote and recorded what he saw in what we call the book of Revelation, he said, I see a new heaven and a new earth. And I see a new city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven to rest upon the new heavens and the new earth. And as we read through Revelation 21 and 22, we read there the description of this new Jerusalem in which God resides and fills it completely so that finally... God accomplishes His purpose. His presence manifests upon the earth throughout all of the earth. And His image recreated in man as He designed for man in the Garden of Eden. What conclusions can we draw from these 
comments and thoughts as we've examined the life of Abram and his role in God's plan. We can see God has a plan. Things don't just happen haphazardly. Things don't just come and go by chance. God has a plan. And as the sovereign creator God, he controls all things. And he will bring all things together to fulfill his plan and purpose. We see that his plan and purpose includes people like you and me. To once again experience his presence in our daily lives. We see that it includes the recreation within us, the image of God. As the Spirit of God conforms us to the very image of Christ. And God will continue to work until he fulfills his plan completely. The promise tells us in Isaiah, I will fulfill all my pleasure. What implications do these truths have upon your life and upon mine? We must recognize God has a plan. We must recognize that that plan includes people like you and me. And we must therefore regard that plan and purpose of God and recognize it and see what that plan and purpose of God has for me, for my life, and you for your life. What does God plan and purpose for you? He made provision for people like you and like me in the Lord Jesus, His Son. And He made provision to reconcile sinners back to His Father that people like us might know God. That we might experience His presence in our lives. And we must recognize God's plan and regarded for its implications upon our own individual lives. What does that then call upon us to do? How do we then respond to that? God calls upon us very simply to repent. Repent. Turn from trust and confidence upon yourself to trusting the provision I have made for you, the Lord Jesus. Trust Him. Believe Him. Some of you may have already done that. Some of you may say, yes, I remember a time when I did trust Christ, and I believe Him, and I trust in Him. God wants to bring about in you, and create in you, the image of God. And the Spirit of God wants to work within your life, to recreate in you the image of Christ. And to conform you to that image. It's possible that today you cannot say that you have trusted Christ. I urge you and call upon you. Even as Abram went out not fully understanding everything. Abraham didn't understand everything that God called and said to him. He only knew that he needed to follow him. And God began to reveal to Abram as he dealt with him and helped him understand himself 
as time progressed. And he'll do that for you. You say, I don't understand it all. Understand this much. That God calls upon you to repent and believe. Trust Jesus. That much you can do. Trust him. Follow him. And as you commit your life to Christ, he will increasingly teach you and reveal to you additional truth that now you don't understand. You will understand as the Spirit of God begins to teach you and to work in your heart and your life. I pray that the Spirit of God will work in your life and bring about in you that faith and that trust in the Lord Jesus. God's provision for people like you and like me. And that you will take that step of faith as Abram did. Not fully understanding, but understanding enough to trust him and to follow him. And I pray that the Spirit of God will bring that about in your life today. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have a plan and purpose which no one can destroy nor prevent. And thank you that your plan and purpose includes people like us gathered together today and others who will listen to this study in the future days. We can participate in your plan and purpose. And you call upon us to trust you even as Abram did, not fully understanding, but understanding enough to trust you. And I ask you, Father, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit to work in our lives today, to bring us to that kind of faith, to trust your provision, Jesus, your Son. And that we will trust him to the saving of our souls that we may begin to experience your recreating in us your very image and restoring back to us your presence, which we can then enjoy every day. And we will give you thanks, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for what you accomplish in our lives today and in the future. Amen.